Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 68. Last week was pretty crazy, so we got a lot to cover. First topic in InfoSec news, Amazon S3 had a major outage last week, which took down a lot of the internet. It's basically a backend for so many websites that and applications that a lot of people are calling it the internet's hard drive, which makes a lot of sense to me. What I found, what I found most fascinating about the outage was actually Amazon's postmortem, which identified the cause as a typo. But instead of blaming it on the sysadmin or the human, they basically said, look, it was a human that caused the problem, but we're going to develop a technology solution that makes it so that they can never do that again. So even if they do the typo, it won't actually succeed and the tech will defend it. I think it's a fantastic response to the problem. Um, they didn't throw the human under the bus. They basically said, look, you shouldn't have been allowed to do that. So we understand. And uh, I only wish that we had this for development frameworks, right? I, I mean, I think we're getting there eventually, but this is the kind of thing we need for coding as well, where the person could try to do the wrong thing, but the framework defends them. Uber is in more trouble because of its use of a technique called grayballing, which is a play on blackballing, basically. It's basically in cities where Uber wasn't allowed to operate, they would push out a fake version of the app to certain people like city officials and stuff like that. And they would give them a fake version of the app. They would load it up to get a car so they could you know, gather evidence, get in the car and interview the driver and document what happened. But the cars would look like they were going to show up, but then they would cancel immediately. So it was like the app existed, but it also didn't because they would never get a car. And it was specifically targeting the people that they were worried about, you know, gathering evidence on them to produce a legal, a legal case. So um, really interesting use of technology. But of course, they're in a lot of trouble about doing this as well because they're evading the law and stuff like that. So interesting case. It's possible to fool a lot of AI systems using what are called adversarial examples. Basically, they're purposely crafted inputs that cause AI to, to make a mistake, usually involving labeling. So this is kind of like a supervised learning issue where something is a dog or something is not a dog. So you might be able to convince a camera that someone has a gun, for example, when they actually don't, or an autonomous car that there's a yield sign instead of a stop sign. The way I characterize it is that if you understand the limitation of the training data, you have a good way to attack the system. Going to be talking a lot more about this in the future. I think it's really cool attack surface coming out. Security professionals everywhere are rejoicing in the fact that Marissa Mayer lost her multi-million dollar cash bonus 
because of the security issues at Yahoo. We sort of felt for years that were egregious sort of disregard for InfoSec happening in the corporate world, but there were never any solid repercussions. And now, uh, well, I mean, basically being fired and then uh, losing a multi-million dollar cash bonus, that's sending a pretty clear message that you can't ignore security to this degree and have no sort of fallout from it. Hacker One is offering a free service for open source projects. The offering basically allows vetted projects to use Hacker One platform to manage interaction with the community, but there's no customer support attached to it. Cisco's Talos Intelligence have found a rat called DNS Messenger that uses DNS text records to run PowerShell commands and for C2 and it prevents the system from having to write any files to disk locally. So it's much harder to detect because you're not writing files and you're actually using the DNS text records for storage. Really, really cool technique. A researcher found a vulnerability in Google Apps that allowed him to query internal Google domain names, including those for its Active Directory infrastructure. It's basically an SSRF in their toolbox application where if you rotated your queries, you could pull all sorts of nasty stuff. The researcher received a bounty from Google and the issue has been fixed. Cloud Pets, a smart stuffed animal that records voice conversations of children and parents, had its MongoDB database compromised, resulting in the exposure of 2 million voice conversations and data from around 800,000 registered users. Then it got hacked and ransomed. Big, big mess, and uh, Troy Hunt did a good write-up on this. Amazon is developing a voice ID technology for its Alexa devices. Can't wait to see that. This is a really big problem with both Siri and uh, Alexa. It's just, uh, you know, anyone can issue those commands. Uh, I mean, imagine it's hooked up to something sensitive, and you could just, like, yell through a wall and activate it like open the garage door or whatever. Um, so tying these to voice ID is, is going to be really important. However, we are also at the same time improving our ability to just capture a sample of a voice and then be able to say anything in that voice via an editor, which Adobe showed last year. So we're only going to get so much additional benefit from that. It will stop accidents in a lot of cases, but it's not gonna stop malicious uh, use of the, of the vulnerability. Google has increased all its bounty payouts by 50% and Microsoft has doubled theirs. Google's reCAPTCHA has been successfully attacked again. So I believe unless they've fixed it, this is a current issue with reCAPTCHA. Technology news, new software called Contract Intelligence, C-O-I-N, COIN, performs in seconds a task that used to take their entire staff 360,000 hours. YouTube has launched YouTube TV, which allows you to stream ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, 
regional sports, and a bunch of other cable networks, all on YouTube. And this is different than YouTube Red. Chevrolet is about to offer an unlimited 4G LTE data plan on all cars sold in the U.S. for just $20 a month. I think this is a really cool move by Chevrolet because you want to not think about your data plan. I mean, tethering is nice, but you it would be much better if you just get in a car, join the wireless, and you're on. And that, and once you're joined, you're joined. I think it's just an obvious future for all vehicles. And now that Chevrolet is doing it, I imagine all the other uh, U.S. car makers will probably follow. And I think it's only two or three years before kind of everyone has this. Ford is exploring a mobile van full of drones for last mile delivery. So the issue is always getting from like a big street or a big, you know, highway or whatever to certain areas that are hard to get to, whether that's terrain or lack of roads or whatever. So they're developing some sort of vehicle that holds drones. So the vehicle goes as far as it can. Then the drones go out and drop whatever medicine. Medicine is a really good use case for this kind of stuff, but uh, it could be anything as long as the drone could carry it. I'm also thinking of bad ways to use the same technology, which I'm sure will come out soon. Human news, a researcher at Florida State University has used machine learning to accurately predict the chance of someone committing suicide to around 80% accuracy. This is stunning given the fact that previous decades, like tons of researchers working on this for decades, basically gave us like a 50-50 coin flip on whether the person was actually going to kill themselves or not. The system looked at 2 million health records and identified 3,200 people it knew it committed suicide and machine learning basically did its regular magic of finding those people who had things in common that humans could not see around 120 Americans commit suicide daily. Sweden has reinstated military conscription because of Russian moves in the Baltic. Japanese universities are struggling to remain elite and relevant. Babies evidently give their mothers stem cells that they could use to heal themselves if needed. Like if they have some sort of organ damage, the stem cells actually help the mother. There's a new tech where you can lock up your cell phone at uh, parties. So basically you walk into the party. It, usually this is going to be for really high-end parties or events or whatever. And you basically, they hand you this sleeve you slide your, your device into it, your mobile phone, it closes and, uh, you actually can't open it easily. I think you keep it with you, but you can't get to it easily. It's got some sort of like magnet lock or something. And then when you're done at the end of the party, you go and there's like a little unlock mechanism, kind of like the things at, uh, department stores. Really cool idea. Basically people, they're saying that they freak out initially because they don't know how to be social because normally their, their crutch is they just pull up their phone and look at it. But this forces you to actually mingle and interact with people, have conversations, crazy idea for a party. SpaceX is sending two people on a trip around the moon next year. 
I did not know this was this close. Although I am a little worried because I feel like we lose about one third of the SpaceX things. I, I, I haven't been keeping count, but what they're doing is fantastic. I, I have massive respect for them, but it seems, I don't know, going around the moon and coming back seems infinitely more difficult than the things that we've been failing at uh, with SpaceX. So I don't know. I assume they're going to do the due diligence, but it uh, seems like a very high-risk way to spend a massive amount of money, but potentially worth it as well. Ideas. IQ and creativity bias in a post-work world. Might have posted this one before. I can't remember. doesn't really matter. Um, I put it first because I've been reading a book called Sapiens, and I'm about to read another book called Homo Do, which is do being uh, two. So it's like second version of Homo. Um, a more advanced version than Sapiens or Erectus or all these other versions of pre previous humans. And uh, the concept from this author, I, I can't remember the author's name right now. It's, it's actually, it's an Israeli name. It's kind of hard to pronounce, but this guy who wrote Sapiens and the Homo Do is uh, just fantastic. He he is writing about this AI stuff that I've been talking about for a couple years now in an extremely clear and lucid way. And he's a historian. So the Sapiens book is all about the history of Sapiens, right? So how Sapiens beat out the other human types, what we did to the world and stuff like that. And this next one is what is the next version of humans? And that obviously links directly into our usefulness. So as part of his tour, which he's doing articles all over, he's doing podcasts. Um, so he's doing like a book tour for the second book. He did a bunch of articles and one of them on Wired and one of them on uh, ideas.ted.com were just fantastic. He basically said 99% of humans will be part of a useless class. And the sentence I really liked was, they won't just be unemployed, they'll be unemployable. And he put that at 99%. I, I think we'll eventually get to 99%, but that, that's going to be a slow motion, I think. But we are going to get to 20% and 50% and 75% and maybe 90% very quickly. I, I think within... I don't know how fast, no one knows how fast, but say 20 or 30 years. And that is just a blink of an eye. Like that, that is just so fast. It's way faster than most people think. They're like, oh, AI is starting. <clears throat> like this might be a problem in like 50 or 100 years. No, it's coming much faster than that. And this guy is capturing it really well with uh, these articles and with uh, this new book. I haven't read the new book yet, but um, I'm about to after I fish, finish Sapiens. And I'm not sure if I'm going to go into uh, Hamilton um, again or if I'm just going to go right into the second book. But uh, basically what I was writing about in IQ and the creative bias in the post-work world is that it's going to be really hard to be relevant once machine learning starts taking over. Machine learning is pattern matching. 
all right, it finds patterns better than we do. So you take the most advanced pattern matching profession or one of the most advanced, and this is probably arguable, but you've got radiologists, okay? They, they go to school for like whatever, 74 years. They've got like $300,000 in debt from medical school. They finally get into practice. And here comes some dork with uh, a new machine learning algorithm that out identifies cancer in radiological films, right? In, in X-rays. Okay, we started, okay, we just now can beat humans at, at chess, right? So machine learning couldn't do any of this stuff. It couldn't do facial recognition, couldn't beat us at chess, couldn't beat us at um, Go, um, couldn't even touch us at poker. And now AI is catching up and all of these aren't perfectly aligned with machine learning. It, it's, it's a mix there with deep learning and neural nets and different types of AI, but let's just lump it into AI. Those things were completely untouchable 10 years ago, completely untouchable. Five years ago, they started happening. Now it's, it's, it's here. It, it is past us in everything except for poker. I think we're still co competitive there for like another 11 minutes or whatever. But we went from nothing to beating humans at these things that we thought were untouchable. We have machine learning beating radiologists in a skill that they go to school for. You have the best of the best people spending 300 grand. They go to school for however many years, 13 years, and then they get out of school and they're not as good as this new algorithm. And guess what? You could just copy the algorithm and give it to everyone, feed it more data, and it gets even better. That is the future that, that we're running into right now, right? And that, that's for an extremely hard thing to do. Imagine much easier things, right? And these things, tight, they, they focus down on the exact thing that, that solves a problem, right? So mo most skills, most things that people get paid for, they're somewhat limited, right? I mean, you have to do one thing kind of over and over. There's a lot of jobs that require lots of different skills. Those are the most immune. But if you have a very specific skill that, that you do over and over, and it, it makes a lot of money for a company, those are right in the crosshairs for, for this kind of uh, advancement. And his argument, and what I've been saying for all these years, and... Well, a lot of people are saying, right? This is the whole conversation about AI, but he's just saying it really clearly, in my opinion, is that uh, we're, we're looking at most of the world being useless in terms of creating value as compared to artificial intelligence. And that is the biggest problem we have ever faced as humans. I imagine this is what he's saying in the second book. Again, I haven't read it yet, but it, I imagine that's what he's saying. Um, I wrote an article maybe three or four years ago about the future of human happiness. And it was basically assuming that this had already happened and that we had already moved into the uh, into being digital form. 
And the question is, how do you produce conflict and how do you produce struggle in order to create happiness and meaning? Because if you remove all those things, which that's, that's what AI is going to do. It's going to remove struggle from us. Um, in, in, in terms of day-to-day -day life, assuming that you have, you know, basic income coming in and stuff like that. I mean, there's nothing for you to do because you can't do it as well as a computer can do it or a computer with a robot. So that's amusing and annoying. <clears throat> so th this is what we're dealing with. And he puts these numbers really high, 99% useless. Wow. But anyway, um, I, have, I have a recommendation here related to this as well. But my, uh, my thoughts here are think about what, makes you and your children's skill sets and future career opportunities and things immune to this. I mean, we already have accountants and uh, stock traders and, you know, people like this being completely replaced by things like IBM Watson, right? So th this is happening. That, that happened last year, right? This is already happening. Um, and you, you got to be thinking about what's resistant to this type of thing and what is not. And the most resistant thing is having a high IQ, a functional or native or whatever. You need to have a high IQ, which means you can, you're plastic. You can move around. You could be like, okay, that didn't work. Let me try this. Oh, that didn't work. Let me try this. Oh, the machines came and took that job away. I'm going to go do this instead. And the more things you could do, the better. If you could write really well, if you can think sort of, you know, dynamically, this is the type of world you need to prepare yourself and children for. If you tell them, hey, there's this job, go do this job, make you, it makes you a lot of money. Well, guess what? That's exactly where people are going to be developing ML first. And you really need to worry about any sort of hyper-focus because those are the most resistant places or the most vulnerable places. So fascinating topic. Uh, I'll be talking about this quite a bit for the next, I don't know, 50 years before I get uploaded. So um, next one, the mea culpa game, analysis of IT postmortems. Basically what I did here was I took a look at Amazon's announcement of its postmortem around S3 and I took, I compared it to one from Etsy and I looked at the, the font used. I looked at the font size. I looked at the, the tone. I looked at the density of the text, the density of the paragraphs and sort of took away some concepts around what each of them were saying without saying. Kind of like, uh, as someone on Twitter replied, it's a body language for a company through their postmortems, which I thought was super cool. Uh, next one, greatness versus imperfection. How should we rate our leaders? This one is analysis of, I've always wondered how we're supposed to judge great leaders when they're clearly flawed. So I'm re reading the Hamilton book. I see Jefferson, he's all messed up. Uh, Hamilton, adulterer. Martin Luther King, 
adulterer, plagiarist. Um, but the list just goes on. Like you can't find pretty much anyone. Jefferson, Hamilton, I don't know, Obama, anybody who, who you, re- you revere, you respect them massively. But when you start digging, you find things that either in their performance of their job, they didn't do what they said they were going to do, or just in their life in general, there's a mismatch between what they claim are their principles and the life they actually live. Um, and the question is, when you find out someone claims to be holier than now, and then they're cheating on their wife at the same time, do you erase everything good that they've done? How do you weigh that negative compared to the positive? So what I did was I built a three axis sort of uh, a three dimensional sort of way of measuring performance. And uh, that, that's what this is about. It, it's basically like um, what world, the most important one, what world would you hope to make? If you had full power to control the entire universe, what world would you construct? The next one is how closely did you live your life according to that world and try to achieve it? Or how effective were you at bringing it about? That's the second one. And the third one is what is the lasting impact of your life? right? Is it massively positive positive, or is it massively negative? So a 10 would be you just made everyone the most happy ever and the world is perfect. And a one would be the worst possible suffering from for everyone, right? Now, using these three elements, how do you start looking at um, different people? right? So you just plug in different people. It's actually pretty hard to plug in these values, which I found when I did. I built a table. I put, you know, MLK. I put Gandhi. I put, you know, George Washington. I can't remember who all I put in there. I think I did Hamilton, Jefferson, like Hitler, because, you know, you got to have got to have a Hitler in a table like this. And the numbers were interesting, how, how they showed up. Um, and again, it's all about how you set those numbers, which I put in the post. You got you got to figure out a method for assigning the numbers. Otherwise, one person will be thinking one thing and judging that and rating the number based on it. And someone else will be thinking something else when they put the number and you won't have any consistency and it won't really work. But anyway, it, it was still useful even with that sort of problem. Um, so that's what that was about. Governments, markets, and media. This is a very quick essay about the fact that I thought most people think we had better media back in whatever the 50s, 60s, 70s, or maybe it's like 60s, 70s, 80s. I'm not sure exactly, but it's like Walter Cronkite and all these super old people. And it's like, there's not lots of news. There's just the news. And everyone's like, oh, that was real news. And it was, you know, real facts and not fake news. And everyone's like, that's amazing. But then I realized, hey, that's kind of like state media. Now, it was a private company doing it, but it was kind of like BBC, where you just had like one or two sources and boom, there it is. And now what we have 
we don't actually have worse news now. That This, this is the mistake I, I wrote this for. We don't actually have worse news now. What we have is choice, right? We have hundreds of different news sources or maybe thousands. Let's call it thousands. Definitely thousands, but the question is, you know, how useful are they or whatever. But let's just call it thousands. You have thousands of useful news sources, potentially useful. And the question is, which one do you look for, right? You have super high-end, high-quality news sources. You have utter garbage. And you have tons in the middle. And it's possible to go and find the good stuff. But people don't put the effort in. So what you have is you have a market economy, right? You have, you have a market here where there's lots of options and people are choosing the worst ones. And they're like, oh, news has totally failed us. It's gone way downhill. I wish we had, you know, a Walter Cronkite or whatever. Well, now you're wishing for one option. You're wishing for the lack of options, right? So what it brings us back to is the problem isn't choice. The problem is people making bad ones, right? It, so that, that's fascinating to me. We, we don't have a fake news problem. We have a people problem because they're choosing fake news. There's plenty of real news out there and they're not looking at it. So that's what that was about. Companies exist to serve customers, not employ people. Someone on Twitter was interacting with me saying, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, I know what they were saying. They were saying, your article is wrong. Companies don't want to fire customer or don't want to fire their employees because if everyone was fired, they wouldn't have anyone to sell their product to. And I'm like, look, um, people, companies are operating on a quarterly and fiscal year, three to five year timeline mostly next quarter, right? They're not thinking about what would happen if I did this thing and everyone else did it for 30 years. That is not on their radar. So if they make more money for the next 10 years by firing all their employees, they actually make five times as much money, they're going to do that. There's not a calculation in their mind that says, what about the impact to the economy over a half a century? It's not on their radar whatsoever. Companies are there to provide value for their shareholders and provide value for their customers. Um, a great example of this is that U.S. manufacturing. People are like, oh, we don't make anything anymore. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We make tons of stuff. We're actually putting out just as much output as we ever have. Now, China, of course, is making tons of stuff as well. And, you know, they're, they're becoming quite prominent there. And I, I don't know the numbers. I think they might have passed us, but it doesn't matter. It's not like we had a decline. We had a decline in the humans working in manufacturing. We did not have a decline in what we're putting out. We're actually putting out more or the same amount as our highest amount ever. We're just doing it with a tiny, tiny percentage of the humans. And that's exactly what's going to happen to every field. As AI and machine learning power up, we're going to fire all the humans, but we're still going to make just as much or more value 
and product for people. Now, eventually that will catch up to us. Eventually we're going to keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. And no one will have a job um, and they won't be able to buy the product. But what's really going to happen though, is the top will separate from the bottom even more. So all these products will be made for the top. Um, but even that will stop scaling at some point and, uh, you'll have to have basic income so people can buy services and then where's that money going to come from? So it, it's a large conversation. Obviously it, it's a major thing that needs to be discussed, but, um, one thing that's for sure is p uh, companies are not going to stop or refuse to fire their it won't be firing. It'll be layoffs, right? They're not going to refuse to get rid of their staff when it'll make them tons of money just because in the long term, this might have an impact on the economy globally. It's just not going to happen that way. All right. Discovery. The car hackers handbook is now available for free. Got a link there. Go Fish, an open source phishing framework that has been updated. A presentation on a car hacking tool called Can Tools. Collection of red team related resources like good books and techniques and different stuff. Hacker.io, a search engine for online programming courses and tutorials. The Rise of the Useless Class, that's that article from that author I was telling you about. AWS Lambda Test Practices. <laughs> best practices. Yeah. AWS Lambda best practices. Paddle Paddle, an open and easy to use deep learning platform for enterprise and research. The human body is a transit map. This is a really cool visual. Uh, my company IOActive released some new research last week on vulnerabilities and robots. Pretty cool stuff. Advice Bill Gates would give his 19 year old self. This is fantastic article. Reflect, design, publish, and share your data, a data visualization platform. A pretty cool critical controls PDF and an article on creating macros for Burp Suite. And in notes this week, uh, this newsletter and podcast won number four on a list of 35 security podcasts. It was super rewarding actually because the three that, beat us out were uh, all super professional, highly produced. They have like studios and like crazy, crazy good production and like tons of sponsors. They got lots of money coming in. Um, and over here, it's just uh, you and me. So I was really happy with the number four spot and uh, thanks for listening and reading. So uh, yeah, I was excited about that. I'm in the middle of making a new primer, uh, this time on OSINT. So it's going to be a fairly major one. I'm going through like hundreds of sources. I, I'm actually like all these different websites and tools. I'm actually loading them up, using them, putting in data that I know, putting in my own data or whatever. And, uh, and seeing what I get back and filtering out like tons of them are just useless or don't even work. So um, I'm only putting into the primer ones that I see good results from, and hopefully I'll be able to release this thing in a couple of weeks. It's uh, I'm doing it use case based as well. So not just creating a list of tools, but saying, if you want to 
search by this, do this. If you want to use this, do this. Um, so hopefully the structure will lend something to it as well. Uh, I'm still reading Hamilton, but I took a break and I'm reading Sapiens. I mentioned this earlier. It's really, really good. And I'm probably going to read that guy's second book after that. Going to Stanford this week to speak about cybersecurity and AI. Really enthused about that. And my buddy Ty has me thinking about getting a really cool uh, katana. It's like a custom-made katana. It's like 400 bucks or something. And I've got a link here in the newsletter. And recommendations. If you are a parent, start thinking about what skills in the future are most resistant to AI and machine learning. Because that's where you probably want to point them. It's, it's about life skills and not just the vocation itself. And I'll be doing an essay on this exact topic soon. The aphorism for this week, the problem with humanity is the following. We have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology by E.O. Wilson. See you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.